Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. An Ogilav Nanagus special. Corpse carrying for beginners. Or two stories for Samhain. Okay, today in this Ogilav Nanagus special, we're going to look at two stories with similar motives. Though after the title that was chosen by my colleague here, <laughs> I think I'm going to be corpsing all the way through. <laughs> now, one of the stories is called The Adventures of Nera, or more properly... Echtra Nera. I love that word. And it means sort of adventures or... Um, outings. Outings. Yeah. And has this sort of slight connotation, according to some experts, of um, adventures in the underworld. Yes. Which, in fact... Well, I don't know about underworld or but other world. Other world, yes. Um, in fact, this is one of those stories. It appears as part of the Ulster cycle, and it's listed as one of the Ravescala, or I don't know why, but I know them as Fushgilta, the pre-stories to the Tyne Bocunia. And this is a set of, I think, ten stories that includes the story of Macha, which we've heard before, mm-hmm. and it includes... the So two mythical women. Um, yes, well done. <laughs> and uh, it also includes the tale of the two swine herds, and they're essentially all the stories you need to know in order to understand what's happening in the main saga of the Tyne. This one is a little bit, it's different in character. It really has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the toy. The yeah. In fact, it just, as far as I can see looking at the story, it seems to be a typical sort of folk tale or a bit of a ghost story, yeah. a scary story that you might enjoy around a fire. But because it's based at Crookham, yes. therefore it sort of has to have Maeve, Maeve and Alan, and Alan yes. in it. And so it begins with them at Crookham. And yet it's really a story about uh, just how scary the, the cave of Crookham is. Now, the other story that we're going to be looking at is um, a comparatively, as far as we know, a modern folktale, though how modern, of course, is difficult to know because it's one of a type of folktales that appears throughout, well, obviously from the 10th century, because it contains much the same motifs. Yes, and and, uh, that story of Nera is at the latest 10th century. Possibly 8th. Possibly the 8th century. Including, and you, you did mention that all the details from it were all... Um, linguistically speaking, yes, all show that it's not from a later period. Exactly, that it is a, a single unified story, even if it's sort of brought in elements from different versions mm. of that story. But it, the story as a whole definitely goes back at the mm. at the least a thousand years. This folk tale of Tygo Cain, Tygo Cain and the Fairies, was collected in the by by Douglas Hyde yes. in the late nineteenth century and. Um, from a man he met in Fina. In Fina. He met him in Mohill, yes. but, uh, which is just literally about 10 kilometres away from us. Yes. And Fina's probably closer. Fina's even closer, yeah. Um, and he met him actually, what was he, paying his rent? Oh, yes. In, in Mohill, but in he Mo- came from Fina and <laughs> yes. he got the whole story. He also said that he found another part version in County Louth and mm. sort of folk. It was a, a ballad, a yes. ballad, but most of it. But it's very, very clearly set in in, in County Leitrim. Oh yeah, and in this immediate area. In fact, so, in it's fact, been described as a journey around Loch Allen oh, in possibly, some in some yes. ways. Yes. So, well, let's start with the first story, the Adventures of Nera. Now, that's a strange story. I think it's it starts like a ghost story, as I said, but it's set in this heroic time, this world of Maeve and Islil. Now, I, I know you've got. You're not that fond of Maeve, are you? I'm not, no. Um, I, I've never really felt comfortable with her. 
Uh, I think that she is... Not the great heroic warrior. Warrior queen. No, I think that she is uh, selfish and power hungry. I think that she represents a lot of... uh, She's a counter-example, really, of how to be a ruler. And, um, yeah, just everything she does turns out (laughs) dreadful consequences. Maybe we'll get back to it one of these days. (laughs) I think so. But suffice it to say, I don't see her as representing the sovereignty of the land. I I know, but fortunately, fortunately for us, and everybody else is listening, she's actually not really the main character in the story. No, she's very passive. I think she's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. in some ways but it starts at Samhain Eve at Crookham and uh, they're sitting around they're described as sitting around the cauldron yes sitting around the fire you sitting around the fire after dinner talking tales and just generally and it gets to Eilil offering a prize oh, a couple of days before they've hanged a couple of captives oh of course just so nice yeah. thing you do every day yeah, decorating the trees for Samhain you know yeah nobody says why as again this is a very uh, it's very incidental to the exactly. story except that he offers a prize to anyone who puts a withy now that's a, a sort of like a, a a rope made of willow yeah around the ankle around the foot of one of the hangman sort of dare yeah ah come on nobody's gonna do that not on a sour night now that would be stupid yeah. and he says ah you know i will Okay, well, um, I'll offer you any prize you like. Oh, right, I'll think about that. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll offer you a a sword with a gold handle. And they all like their shiny handles. They all like their shiny handles. So Nero accepts the challenge. So will he get the gold-handled sword? Well, he goes out into the darkness. And uh, it's pretty dark out there. And uh, he finally comes to the gallows where hang the two men. And he he tries three times to put this withy around. You you know what it's like working with a willow, especially. It it bends, but it doesn't bend. And he's obviously trying to weave it in. Mm. And it keeps boing and springing apart again. Three times he tries it, which is getting a bit spooky. (laughs) When suddenly something even more spooky happens. Uh, The the captive, the hanged man, goes, why don't you put a peg in it? Which, oh, all right, haven't thought of that. Did you speak to me? Yeah. <laughs> so he obviously means that he puts a little uh, piece of willow in so that the, 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 when he, the woven, two woven ends of the willow actually stay together. Well, he's just about to go back and claim his prize. Though, does he have to take the courts with him to show that he's, to prove that he's actually put the willy round? It's not meant specified, it? no. The corpse says, well, I've done you a favour. I want you to do me a favour. You see, I was really thirsty when they hanged me. Do you think you could take me for a drink? Now, that's an offer. You know, do you want to go for a drink? Yeah. I don't think there's many people who uh, go, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But uh, at that point, as soon as Nera says yes, the corpse sort of pops down and lands on his shoulders and yes. puts his hands round his neck and his um, legs round his hips so that he's firmly attached to his back and he can't shake him off. Mm-hmm. So he has no choice other than to go for a drink with the man. Yep. So off they go. Now they come to um, three houses. The first house as they're trying to get in to get a drink. So it, it, the mood changes slightly. It they're does. no longer around. They're going out into the countryside mm. and it does say house. There's no mention yeah. of dune or fort mm. or anything else. It's now it's a house. dwelling. Yeah. It's a dwelling. And the, but the first one is when as soon as they get close, it's ringed round with fire. Now, this is interesting because uh, they can't get close to it. He can't get close, but it's, they can't get close because of the hangman, because of the spirit. Mm. Because there's an old custom that you have to smear your fire, you have to damp down your fire to keep the house safe at night. And, and uh, you know, it, it, as it were, to, this, this keeps it safe from 
other world visitors yes. and ghosts and things that go bump in the nights. They can't get in. Well, they go on a bit and they come to another house, but this house is surrounded by a lake. Oh, they can't get there. You see, they've been obeying the rules as well and uh, the, the foot water has been thrown out. Now, the water for washing, bathing water or slops, pails, mm. they weren't meant to stay in the house at night. You threw them out. Ah, but they've done the right thing. They've thrown them out so they can't get in. No spirits can get in there. So that they come to the third house and there's not a sign. They go inside three vessels. The corpse drinks from the first two and spits in the face of the sleepers from the third. And what do you believe? Everybody in the house dies. That's you see, they haven't done what they wanted. To. Well, at that point, he's had his drink of water, so Nera carries him back. He's on his way to carry him back, as it's described in the text, to his torture. Mm -hmm. Lovely story. <laughs> but we did say it was a story for Halloween. And uh, just as he's getting back towards the gallows, he sees in the distance that the dune the, uh, of Crocan is on fire. And, you know, there, there's people being carried off and there's fighting going on and heads are flying everywhere. And uh, he follows the raiders back. Now, this is where it's interesting. It says into the mound, but it obviously isn't a mound, is it? Well, it's, as such, it's, it's a, the sort of inverted commas mound. Well, it's just I, a I she. would imagine, yeah, that the word itself is she. And, of course, she just means the place where the she, the fairy people, live. And in this case, it's very clear that it's actually Owen Gat. Yes, it's underground through the cave of Kruger. And I love that bit where the it's a little bit muddly in the text mm. there, but it seems that he's following the uh, invaders from the Sheep back in. And mm. there's a sort of password, isn't there? Yeah, there's this exchange where they're kind of standing in line in order to get into the Sheep. And the the guy in front in the line says, there's a man on the road or there's a man on the track there. And the answer seems to be not the... Um, that the track is heavier for the, it. The tra <clears throat> track is heavy, not nothing to do with the elucidated brethren of the Ebon Knight. <laughs> well, it could be, you never know. But it, it feels as if that's a password because each man says it to the next as it goes down the line. And so Nera has obviously heard this. And so he just gives the same password it and seems like it. gets into it's, the sheet. And it's quite interesting, actually. It's very evocative because if you've seen Oni Gat, and there is a virtual tour of it on the, the Krokenai uh, website, website uh, that you've got this same, under as you go underground, there's this cut doorway and steps. Mm. And you can just imagine a group of uh, warriors passing an unseen doorkeeper yeah. and going on, the track is... Uh, there's you know, a man on the track. There's a man on the track. And the other one going, hmm, the heavy, track, track is heavier for it. Yeah. And passing on. I love that bit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he goes deeper and anyway, he seems to get caught mm -hmm. because the next thing we find is talking to the king who's... Um, who's not going to let him go. He's certainly not going to let him go. But he sends him to the house of a single woman. He's now in the she-world. Yes. And sends him to the house of a single woman who he's ordered to carry her firewood. Mm. This must be a euphemism, for after this she's constantly referred to, uh, referred to as his wife. Yeah, although it, it, it may otherwise be that he's sent to do that, either to make him useful to the she or as some kind of punishment... Um, but that because, you know, he's obviously one of our heroes and therefore must be gorgeous, the woman will fall for him and they'll end up as a couple. It's never any it's not really clear. It's not very clear. Um, now, every day as he's going to get her firewood, he goes towards the well. And every day he sees a blind man with a lame man on his back coming towards the well. Yes. Now, I like this because it almost references the, uh, the hanged man yes. that he's carried on his own back at the start of the story. Mm. 
But as he follows them to the well, he sees them, uh, the, 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 bla the lame man, lame, lame, lame man, the lame man carries the blind man. and uh, The other and way around. Blind man, blind man carries, carries the lame, lame man. man. Sorry. Because the lame man can't walk That's and the blind right. man can't see. And as he gets to the well, he says, is it there? The, um, the blind man says, is it there? And the lame man says, yes, it's there. And then they go away again. Well, he asks his wife, who tells him that these are two men who've been trusted by the king to keep an eye on his favourite treasure, the golden mm. crown and golden crown of Brim, isn't yes. it? Yes. Uh, and she also says to him that um, something else, which is quite strange, that she said that actually that he was sort of under an illusion because Crookan is not really damaged at all. It was all an illusion, but that what he saw would come true the next Halloween, the next so on, unless he managed to warn his people. Mm. I got this right so yes. far? Yes. And he says, well, how am I going to tell them? They won't believe me. If I go back out there and, you know, anyway, I've been away from at least three days. Yeah. Three days. All this happens in three days. Yeah? Mm. And uh, she goes, uh, well, no, no, because if you take... And he says, well, actually, in, in one version, it's much longer because mm. I don't get why it's three days because in the version, another version I know, it's he's been there much longer months, than that. Yeah. For months, yeah. Uh, because she tells him to take summer fruits or in some place, some, some versions, a bough of blossoming tree, yes. a bough with blossom on it, which will prove that it's not Samhain where yeah. he's been. Yeah. So she tells him that no time has passed back in the world of uh, Maven Alla. Um, and so he can go back and it will appear to them as though he's just been outside. Yeah, so this is a really good story. Yeah. It's not just a ghost story, it's also a time travel story. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There aren't many of them around. No. Um, so he agrees. It's in one version, it's summer fruit, sprigs of wild garlic, primrose mm. and golden fern, mm -hmm. which I quite like. Yeah. And she also tells him, and this is why I also think it can't have been three days, it must have been several months, yeah. that she's now expecting a child yeah. and that he'll need his, his child mm. and that he'll need to come back and take his family out of the she in time exactly. if they decide to attack the she. Yes. So essentially one of these hosts, either the fairies are intending to attack Kruachan, but if he goes and warns Maven Alil at Kruachan, then they will attack the fairies. And the she. doom will be averted. Exactly. So. But don't remember, don't forget that we told you and we are kind of connected with you now. <laughs> and she also prophesies that Maeve and Isla will take the treasures from the, from the, from the, she. From the she. Yeah, including the crown. Including this mysterious crown. Mm. Well, he goes back and would you believe it? He comes in and goes, Ta-da! It's me! Look, I'm back! And I put the withy around the hangman and they go, you've only been gone a second. Yeah. No, 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 I've been gone months! Look, so much has happened to me. And they go, what? You're, but making when he, you're making it up. But when he hands them the out-of-season fruit or flowers or yeah. the blossoming branch or whatever it is, they go, OK. And when they hear that uh, if they don't act, that the uh, crooker would be destroyed, yes. they get together and... Um, they go to attack. They go to attack. Now, there seems to be, in some versions, there's a, a gap before they attack. Mm. And also, Nero goes back into the Shi. Some versions, he goes back more than once into, mm. the, into the Shi mound. But he brings his family his, out. Yeah. Um, and the warriors of Kuro can attack. And uh, they get the crown. They get the mantle of Leary and Armar. And the shirt of, what was it? Somebody in, in Kildare. Yeah. Um, actually, we don't really know much about those. No, they're a bit obscure. Um, and their their Porygorean has suggested that these might uh, might be family heirlooms for families such as the Ivrin and the Dunlena, and you know that they would mean something to a particular audience. 
Um, but aside from that, we really don't have much mention of them. There isn't much mention. Mm. Um, and uh, Nira, after the story's over, returns the she and has not been seen in this world again since that time. Yeah. Nice story. It's lovely. I love it. I've always loved it. So I suppose the most important thing about this story is, is when it's set. It's set at Samhain. Oh, yeah. And I have a feeling that it really exists because it's set then. Yeah, and there's so much in it which is about the nature of Samhain. Um, I mean, for one thing, the hanged man who is both thirsty and talking, it's the time when there is lack of clarity between who's alive and who's dead hmm. um, and it's a time when you can quite easily slip from one world into it's the other it's time between isn't it all about betweens yeah uh, you know it's between the winter and the summer mm-hmm. it's one of the two great shifts of the year yeah uh, it's when the summer ends and the, and the winter begins. begins. It's when the work of farming is largely complete. Mm. The harvest is in and you take a deep breath and start to think about battening down for the winter. Exactly. And it, it is partly for that reason that it is the beginning of the storytelling season. Mm. It is the time when... And it, it, you feel it very strongly mm. here. Suddenly, those long evenings are gone. Yeah. You begin to light the fires again. You're starting to, some sometime between the end of September, around now, mm. when we're doing this, or beginning of October, you start to think about lighting fires, getting yes. in coal. Mm. Have you got enough wood? Yeah, stop All up of for the winter. Sort of yeah, were those drafts coming through the winter through the, under the door last winter that you completely forgotten yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. They start mattering. Yes, again. yeah. I mean, it's certainly. At, at the moment, although last winter was very mild, the previous two were so severe that, yeah, people are now much more conscious about preparing and being prepared for a bad winter. Yeah, last, last, this time last year, the shops were full of um, those things you fit to your feet so you can walk in oh, ice. yes, snowshoes. And, and not one person bought them yeah, because and it was a mild winter. <laughs> a huge amounts of salt and grit. And, and nobody you know, needed it. Yeah. Now, this year, you'll probably find that there's none in the shops and, and everybody wanted it. Exactly. And it was exactly like that. And, mm. you know, you'd be, how much, you? it's not till the beginning of early November you start killing the animals. Mm. It was all. A, it was always traditional around St. Martin Mass, exactly. which is the 11th of November. November. But it is this time of year you start looking at what is actually yours. What yeah. can you keep and what can you hold? Yeah. And by the time you get to Samhain, it's really, it's time to look inwards. You know, it is a more kind mm. of introverted time than the extroversion of, of summer. Mm. And so, yet people become more philosophical and they become more concerned with stories mm. and poetry. And, and the Feast of Samhain was mm. always an interesting one. Oh, yeah. Now, it's one of the two times a year when the battles and uh, mm. the reassessment of things. Yes, but particularly, of course, the, and this is the part of Samhain that has continued up to modern Halloween, is to do with welcoming back dead relatives into mm. your house. Um, yes, in fact, most of the battles were actually south, uh, Beltona. Beltona, yeah. But, but it's, it's one of those two points in the year. Exactly, and when um, sort of prophecy for the following year or augury for the following year could be made, um, and it's, I think, might even still be practised in some households where you would actually build up the fire and leave the hearth swept and leave chairs out by the fire so that after you've gone to bed, all of your dead relations, your ancestors um, and your near ancestors can come back in and have a night by the fire. Mm. It's what's really created the ghosts and colours of Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, It was originally that time when you allowed, mm. with certain precautions, exactly. the welcome to be made. Yes. 
Uh, certainly the witches and stuff like that is nothing to do with Irish folklore. But, no, uh, but definitely the whole idea that there are ghosts and spirits walking around, and in fact, um, the, that what's now become trick-or-treating is because you essentially you disguise your children as spirits and you send them from house to house to get offerings to keep the spirits nice and friendly and on your side. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a symbolic way of saying, yes, we acknowledge that there are, you know, strange things happening that, you know... Better you can to be on their side. Than Absolutely, side. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Placate them, for goodness sake. And that's now turned into this trick-or-treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's an old festival indeed. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting there again, you've got in this, uh, this story, this sense of uh, it could only take place at Halloween. The, yeah. the 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 fact that they actually send out someone on a quest that night. Oh yeah, that's such a typical Halloween dare. You know, that's like, oh, let's all go down to the haunted house tonight. You know, it is. It's one of those dares. You can just see them as a bunch of kind of teenage boys sitting around the fire and trying to challenge each other to do something really spooky and you know silly and adventurous because it's Samhain. And it's probably the one night that the Corpse could talk as exactly, you say. and and that Nero could then so easily find himself in the other yeah. world, um, and of course there are lots of stories uh, connected with Only Gat. Yes, the which cave again, of the cats at Cruachan, yeah, and that uh, maybe you. Could do you want to say something about the Cave of the Cat? Because it's a really interesting place, isn't it? It is. Um, it's still somewhere that I haven't been. Oh, maybe I ought to talk but, about uh, <laughs> But in mythological and literary terms, it is very closely associated with the Morrigan. And we did talk about it in uh, mm. Encountering the Morrigan, Mythical Women, episode six, um, because it is one of the places out of which she is said to come. And within the town itself, indeed, um, it's from there that she drives out with this strange one-legged horse, um, all dressed in scarlet with the shaft of the chariot going straight through the middle of the horse. Mm. So, um, and then there's also in... Well, there's loads of underworld pigs. Yes, yes, in my Mokrova, that yeah. uh, the, the whole reason that that area is supposed to be called my Mokrova, the pig plain, is cats. because a plague of pigs came from there. <laughs> and yeah, and cats as well. So, so whatever else it was, it was at one point known as one of the hell mouths of Ireland. Yeah. And so, yeah, so... Not sir- a Sunnydale in sight. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. But yeah, go to the website, Crochani, we'll put the link on the page and take the virtual tour. And of course, in those days, it wouldn't have been sort of underneath the road. No, probably And not. there were lots of other sites around there, which you mm. can find out if you visit Crookenai or look it up on, online. There are lots of very interesting places around there. It was a very special area. Absolutely. And there's a huge, huge complex. complex. Yeah, massive. And mm. But Onigat has always been a special place. But Absolutely. of course, because it was a little bit scary, it got associated with Samhain stories. Yes, and other, other stories of incursions from one world to the other. Yeah, it was always a, a liminal place. Mm, mm. Um, of course, the other interesting thing with this story, which I find significant, is this time-shifting quality. Yes. Summer to winter, winter to summer. Mm. Again, I suppose this is also, it's the, limin, the liminal yes, nature that, of the place. Yeah, that, that um, time and space don't really work properly during these in-between times, and Samhain particularly. And uh, you do have um, that motive that comes into some other stories about people who've gone to the land of fairy or Tirnanog or however you want to call it, that time passes at a different rate. Mm-hmm. And so while Nera has been in the other world, whether it's three days, three months, three years, whatever, but long enough so that he's starting a family, um, that 
really only an instant or two has passed in mm. the living world. I also see this sense where space gets kind of twisted up as well and that the uh, you have this image where the the Fort of Kruchen with the Court of Mavenalil, the human world, is kind of up on top of a hill. Mm. But then you've got the fairy world, she and and its court under the ground. So it's almost like these two different spaces are superimposed mm-hmm. upon each other and that they start to bleed into each other. And if it is Oenigad, that mm. is, and it, I think it is that it's being yeah. referred to, it's a very narrow entrance. Mm. And, and although the structure underground is, is uncertain, mm. but it may well have been a lot bigger. Absolutely vast, yeah. Um, but um, what, in the story, once you enter through that narrow space, you are in a different world. Yes. It's very TARDIS-like. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> you know, he goes to the house of a person. He's not stuck yeah. underground. No, exactly. It's, it's, He's it gone is. underground, but then there's a whole other land there. Yeah, it's very wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Yeah. <laughs> And then um, the other thing we ought to look at is, is it's a wonderful, this story is a wonderful example of some very ancient customs. Yes. Um, which have continued on practically to into living memory. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, the way of keeping your house safe, the housekeeping. Yes, yeah. And that tells, tells is a wonderful, if the story is uh, homogeneously written by the 10th century, yeah. it means that these customs were current then. Exactly. Whether it's a literary or a, or mm. a folk story, that they were, so, so it gives that they were current. So it gives us an opportunity to look at what people did. Yes. And this idea that the first, the, the three houses, the, the, um, the lake of, well, first of all, the fire the around the house. The fire, yeah. But what it's talking about is that you had to... Um, Quieten down. Yeah, you, you had, had to, to damp down, damp down your fire, fire before night. you went to bed because otherwise it's a hazard. It's a risk. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're quite kind of almost prosaically is, sensible. Um, S'more. Yeah, it's just, and, and in fact, uh, in the text, it's I think it's nearly the same. It's smerig tinne. It's the same thing as curfew. Yes, you cover your fire exactly, which is what that means. Yeah. Curfew is the time of covering of fires. Yeah, and it, it also it kept the fire. Um, kept the embers burning exactly so that it made it easy to light in the morning yeah nowadays when we tend to just let them go out mm. because we've got fire lighters and things like that exactly but no it had to be kept burning otherwise you could relighting it was very yeah, difficult you couldn't get hot water quick enough in the morning yeah but it, there, there are traditions about times of year when it's the only time of year that you would actually quench the fire completely and then you'd have to relight hearth fires from one big central ceremonial bonfire so I, but that wasn't Samhain. No, it wasn't Samhain. I've heard it associated with Bealtaine, mm-hmm. uh, that that's a time when people actually put out their fires. There's one big communal fire lit and everyone takes an ember from that to relight Yeah, well, that would make sense because yeah. in the same way as we were talking about in a previous episode, we were talking about driving the cattle through the fires exactly. at Bealtaine to mark them as yours. Yes. Because Bealtaine is exactly the opposite. It's when you mark what's yours, it's when you take what's yours. Yeah. And if you don't agree with what's yours, you go out and get it. Yes, and you can you can contend for it. You so can, that's the likely yeah. time of raids and... Yes. Uh, and little scuffles and battles and all, all the, the rest, rest of it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but Samhain, yeah, you know what's yours. So again, the usual correct practice is to cover your fire, keep it safe and keep it lit. Mm. 
And then the other practice that's discussed is throwing out the feet water, which again, mm. it's, it's ishka and the gush. You know, it is literally feet water. Water off the feet. But it's what it is, is dirty water. You don't yeah. keep dirty water in the house. No, you don't. And this also could refer to the slops bucket. Exactly. Which is kind of euphemistic if you think about it, really. Well, yeah, it's basically, you know... Any waste you get rid of. Exactly, you, and you, do, you don't keep it in your house. And like, again, that's another thing that's good for health and safety. Exactly, yeah. It's it's all a bit health and safety, all right. Well, when you think you're not talking about times of indoor toilets and sanitation. Exactly, yeah, because that was unsanitary. In fact, indoor toilets are considered unsanitary by many people. Right. It also has this um, connotation of rightness, of the right things mm. to do, much in the way that traditions of like kosher within the Jewish tradition or halal within a Muslim mm-hmm. tradition, that they they can seem in an alien context. They can seem arbitrary, but they're not. Yeah, they're not. But their origins are on really good practices of you know healthy ways to live and to survive so it is all health and safety yeah but it's built into a story and therefore what's it's an exemplum yeah it's sort of saying you know these people did this and And they they were were protected yeah Yeah. and uh, then the last house you see which hasn't they has haven't taken those precautions. Suddenly, yeah. households. Yeah. And here they get punished immediately. Mm. Well, punished rather. It's, it's not, but it's not necessarily punishment. It, it gets. It's just what happens. Yeah, it gets rewritten as punishment. But if you think of it as, you know, the fire and the water uh, keep death out of your house, if you imagine the corpse as in this instance standing for death, mm. that by not doing those things, you've invited death in. You've allowed death into your house. And that's exactly what, what happens. What could happen, yeah. You know, yeah. that's. It's just. So a natural it, consequence. It's very much part of the example. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like one of the um, public safety warnings. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, so like here we've got public safety films yeah. built into a story. Absolutely. <laughs> and in fact, that those, but those three particular, or those those two or three things, mm. the, the, the smurring of the fire. Yeah. There are others, but yeah. those are the main ones. They turn up again and again and again in folk tales. Yes. And it, what's unusual with the story of Nera is that it is if you like, a literary tale. It was written down um, by learned people very early and, you know, that linguistically and textually this story as a whole, as a complete story, exists by the 10th century at the latest. As a literary... As a complete literary story. And yet, in essence, it's just a folk tale. Exactly. And you don't usually find such a strong... Such a domestic tale. Exactly. Which it is. I mean, being told to aristocrats who have other people to do that kind of thing for yeah, they them. don't have to bother about who puts the fire out exactly or yeah. whether their water's clean yeah they've got they've got slaves yeah, it's probably not for that to kind say as uh, you can't imagine Cahullam worrying about putting the uh, putting the slot water <laughs> no out. it just doesn't come <laughs> into that sort of story exactly exactly so it is a very unusual story mm. to have a folk story folk tale mm. written down exactly so I suppose we ought to start talking about the other story that we want to compare it to absolutely now this one as we mentioned at the beginning it's called known as Tiger Cane and the Fairies yeah or Tiger King and the Little People. Mm. And it's obviously a comparatively modern tale. Yeah. And as I said at the beginning, it was collected by, uh, by Douglas, Hyde Douglas Hyde. In the and, 19th century. Yeah, he wrote it up in a book called Saints and Sinners, mm-hmm. in, published in 1915, which I'm sure we could put a link to, yeah. because it's quite got a lot of interesting stuff in. Um, but it was actually originally, he translated it for Yeats's book 30 Years Before. Mm. What's that? Folk Tales of Ireland. Yeah. Again, I'll put the link to it online. Uh, now, this one, as I say, it's supposed to have come. It is local to Leitrim, and uh, 
it was uh, collected from a man in Fina, but it mm. could be set anywhere in Leitrim. It could. Uh, the only trouble is we can't really track down the names. No, they're very difficult because they, they seem to be some kind of local variant. What's more, they are... Uh, Anglicised. Yeah, they're written down Anglicised, which can be very difficult to try and, and then un- sort of unpick. Anglicised Irish, which has been turned into Irish, and then Anglicised and back again. Yeah. So sometimes names become impossible. Absolutely. We had a wonderful example of this not long ago, didn't we, where I was trying to sort out the name of a place in Longford. The name is Coal Hill. And Longford is quite flat. There's yes. no hills to be found. But, um, you know, it had been put down as the hill of either the hazel or then a hill of the shoulders. Yeah, well, the, even if you look it up in the official Irish place names database, Loganamnacha, which is put together by the civil service, service, they will give you the Irish name as Nagula, right? Mm-hmm. Which is literally the hill of coal. Um, and again, there's no coal to be found anywhere around there. And that gula thing, people thought it was gulan, which is shoulders. So it was the hill of yeah. coal. So coal. a hill of coal, coal hill. Um, but it didn't make any sense whatsoever. However, what does make sense is the name coal hill, which means a hazel, hazel wood. wood. That's where I get the hazel from. I knew I was That's trying to the remember hazel wood. So it was coal hill, and then that was anglicised to coal hill, hill, which was turned into Irish, turned into knockmagoola. Yeah, yeah. Which just is nonsense. Which fooled everybody. Yeah, and took his older ages. To, we were trying to work it out for a project yeah. I was doing for ages, uh, and uh, the heritage officer in Longford and various people. We all tried to work it out. Yeah, and then his older said, "Hang on, let's think how this works." Yeah. And it became Hazelwood, yeah. which I think is much more like. So we've got the same problem with all of these names. Yes. So you just have to bear with us. Yeah. But the story starts beautifully because it starts with a young man. And it's said that this was a young man who came from a good family in Leitrim and uh, he had enough of everything. And well, he had more than enough. More than enough of everything and nothing to bother him. He yeah. was the son of a rich farmer who, you know, wasn't bothered too much and he let his son have his way. Mm-hmm. And the son used to rattle around and do Go what he off liked. rambling and gambling and all those other things. Rambling, young gambling and Kayleys and yeah. all the rest of them. You know, he'd be off every night. And uh, his father never bothered, worried about him at all and thought, yeah, I let him sow his wild oats until he heard a story one day that each how did how does the story put it ruined the character of a young lady yeah so he said you know you're going to marry the girl now the young man tyke had every intention of marrying the girl but he wasn't going to be bullied yeah and so he argued with his father who threatened to disown him and tyke went off in a rage and started yeah. wandering around. basically he had to make up his mind overnight whether or not he would marry this girl and so he went off for a little walk <laughs> near his head and he was a bit mad and he, he said you know he, he wasn't going to be bullied into it mm. he was quite happy to marry her but not yet mm. sort of st augustine stuff yeah uh, that needs explaining, but not Never now. mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, he wanders around in the dark quite happily until he hears this sort of funny chittering noises behind him. <laughs> and as he turns around, there are all these strange little creatures. Um, none of them, it says, over three or three and a half foot high. Yeah. Little manines. Yeah, you know, yeah manines. Yeah, just little, little people. Yeah. So by now, these ancient warriors of the she yeah. are now little grey men around three and a half foot high and and we don't mean aliens when we say little grey men <laughs> no they're described grey as hair grey yeah. haired men and they come up to him and they talk to him and he's kind of tongue tied mm. and it seems here there's an implication that because he doesn't speak to them yes that because he can't answer 
he is in their power. Yes. Well, it's, it seems to me that, you know, that the head of this little fairy host comes up and says, isn't it lucky that we've met you, Tygo Kane? So it seems like there's a formal greeting. That he can't give. Yeah, that he, he can't give the right reply. Mm-hmm. He can't say the right words that would give him freedom. And so after he's been asked three times, you know, for this response. Response. Then Which, again, is nothing to do with the elucidated brethren of the Ebon Knight nope. again. <laughs> He hasn't got the password. Yeah, yeah. So he's stuck. Yeah. And now they tell him that he's going to have to do exactly what they say. Yeah. And uh, they tell him to pick something. They're carrying something heavy. And they tell him to come here and pick it up. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing anything for you. And he tries to do a runner. One of them sticks out his leg, trips him up. Yeah, and they pin him down. Pin him down. And they put this heavy thing on his back, which turns out to be a corpse. Yes. Which then clings tightly round his neck. And Just the same as what happened to Nero. Exactly. Only now he's been tripped up by a load of little men who stuff it on his back. Yes. <laughs> well, then he has to stand up, and it's difficult it is to stand up, and they tell him that he's going to have to go and bury the corpse. Yes. And uh, they tell him that they're going to give him a bit of help, like they'll probably be able to bury it in one of several places. Yes. Well, now, this is where we get all the weird names. Exactly, yeah. The the head of the, the this fairy host says, you have to bring him and uh, to a place called Temple Davis and uh, lever up the flagstones in the old church and, and you, bury it there. And if you can't carry it there, you have, have to take it to, to Carragod Vigorus. And if you can't bury it in the churchyard of Carragod Vigorus, then you have to bring it to Temple Ronon. And if that churchyard is closed to you, take it to Imlog Ada. And if you're not able to bury it there, you've no more to do than take it to Kilbrija. And... <laughs> You can bury it there without hindrance. hindrance. You know, you wonder at this point, we're just getting so straight to the last one. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, he hasn't a clue. Yeah, we don't have a clue where these places exactly. are. But neither does he. Yeah. So they're obviously meant to be completely obscure places. I think so. And it, it, the fairy host themselves kind of lead him or, or push him, him to the first Drive one. him to the yeah. first one, <clears throat> Temple Davis. No, it's pretty much of a ruin, it seems, isn't yes. it? The wall's broken. And there's nothing but a few withered trees. You just imagine the leafless trees. And they go, in nah, See, go over that wall, hop over the wall and over to the ruined church there, but we can't come with you because we're not allowed in here. Yeah. So this is interesting. The fairy folk cannot get into the uh, the burial, the burial ground yeah. at all. So he goes up to the door with the corpse on his back and he tries to open the door, but he can't open it. It's locked. So he gets out his penknife and tries to see if the wood is rotten and it's not. And he thinks, right, that's great. I can give up and go yeah, away from I've here. I've done what I can. That's it. I'm done. And at that moment, this is where the spooky things happen because he hears a voice right in his, his, his ear, even though he doesn't think he's spoken aloud. Mm. And it says, search for the key on the top of the door on the wall. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> Nobody here. Nobody here but us corpses. <laughs> and the voice says it again. Mm-hmm. So he says, who's that? Is it the corpse that speaks to me? Can you talk? And the corpse says, yeah, now and again. <laughs> Which is a great answer to that question. <laughs> now and again. So he searches for the key and he finds it up on the top of the door and he opens the door and uh, goes in. Into this. It's older, you take over the next Yeah, bit. he goes into this ruined church and uh, he's thinking, you know, God, I've got to get this done as quickly as possible. 
Uh, again, the corpse gives him a bit of guidance. He says, light the candle. What candle? And uh, he manages to get a flint and a bit of old rag from his pocket. Yeah, and... so he's, this is this kind of helps state the story a little, doesn't it? Because yes, it does a bit, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he does find a candle and lights it, and then he sort of has another look around. And the corpse also says that there's a spade behind the door and that he should start to lever up the flagstones in order to bury the corpse, who's getting a little bit anxious now to be buried, saying, bury me now, there's a spade, and turn the ground. So Tide does that, and he takes up some flagstones from the aisle and digs into the earth underneath it. No. But <laughs> the earth is not uh, unoccupied, and he comes across the corpse of a man, and uh, he thinks, mm, I'm not sure that I'll be able to get another body in here. And he asks the corpse, the corpse is it all right? Would you mind being buried here along with this old fella? And, and there's the no answer. He's quiet. Yeah, so he thinks, oh, well, maybe that's a good sign. But then... One more spade goes into the earth and... The corpse stands up. <laughs> <laughs> and he virtually says it. He says, who, who, who? Go, 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 or you're a dead, dead, dead man. So, yeah, Tyke was a little bit startled at that. And afterwards, after all the things that happened that night, he said that was the most awful to him. And his hair stood up on end. Like the bristles of his, a pig. Like the bristles of a pig, <laughs> yeah. And he's described as a hedgehog earlier uh, on, on yeah. Story, yeah. Um, so then he kind of recovered from that and went a little bit further down the Starts aisle. digging again, digging again, digging yeah. again. And uh, so but he finds another corpse in this other place that he's dug and he thinks, oh no, not again. This um, one's a little old woman. Yeah, it's an old hag wearing not a stitch but her shirt. Just as well she's got a shirt. Exactly. It? But she's a little bit livelier than the other corpse because she almost immediately sits up and says, oh, you buddach. Now, Hyde has translated the word buddach as clown. However, that's not its precise meaning. <laughs> it is a term for the male member. So, in fact, what she's saying is, Ho, you prick! Ha, you prick! Where has he been that he got no bed? Well, that sounds more scary than the first one. Yeah. Now, he tries it a third time too, doesn't he? But it doesn't really... He doesn't get anywhere. Yeah, so he, he hasn't found anywhere no. to, to bury the corpse in the so first place. So that's no place. good. He yeah. has to give up on Temple Davis. Yeah. So he goes back out. And this time, it's interesting, the, the little people seem to have disappeared. Yeah, now he's on his own He's completely on his own. He finds himself on a different road, not mm. the one he came on towards. He has no clue where he is. Yeah, yeah. So he's going, where do I go next? And the corpse, one bony hand, comes out <laughs> and points the way. And suddenly a path opens that he hasn't seen before. But this one is thornier, muddier and... <laughs> rougher with probably bigger ditches yes. and lots of stones and potholes <laughs> and mud and mud and we know about roads like this in fact yes. I can think of half a dozen roads like that which, which just just describe these roads yeah and so off he goes and he follows the direction that the corpse points every time he comes to a, 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 a turning turning until finally there is uh, another burial ground. Yes, and this is the Carrick Ardvik Aurus, which I haven't been able to find either. And so this time there is no, um, there's, well, there is, there's, there's no church or anything. There's just a graveyard, right? Now this time, as he gets to this other burying place, and it's all quiet, suddenly as he gets within about 20 yards of the place, the light changes and there's hosts of ghosts. There's men, women and children are all sitting on the top of the wall or standing on it or running around and... <laughs> 
pointing him. But the strange thing is that though they look as though they're shouting at him and pointing at him, he can't hear a sound. So he thinks maybe if he creeps around the side and tries to avoid them and get in somewhere else, he'll go in behind them. Mm. But uh, no, they will crowd. Wherever he goes, they crowd towards him. It'd make a wonderful scene in a film. Oh, it yeah. Really it's really cinematic with all these ghosts with their open mouths all pointing at him and moving and flowing to where him, wherever he is. And he gets a pretty good idea that he's not going to get in there. Yeah. So he gives up on that that one. Well, once he's gone, the ghost disappears and then he can hear so the corpse ear. saying in his ear, Temple Roland and the skinny hand is stretched out again and off they go. But this time... Time, the road, as it's described, the road was neither short nor even. In fact, it was a typical bereave. Yes, very much a typical road from around here. And it, it gets really, really difficult. And so yeah. he's getting exhausted and tired. And many a bruise he got. And I'm sure it was pouring with rain as well. Of course it was. It was silent, for goodness And sake. finally, he saw Temple Ronan from the distance. Now, we have a vague idea where this might be, but we'll talk about that afterwards. Yes. And there, there was a church in the middle of the burial ground. Mm-hmm. And there's no ghost, there's nothing. But just as he gets towards the wall, suddenly, bang! And he's thrown up into the air, picked up by the neck and the hands and feet and flung about a hundred yards away until he feels more dead than alive. (laughs) Uh, So he decides, when he gets up with a closed corpse, amazingly, he's still clinging to his back. He thinks that he's not going to try that one again. Yeah, he's getting the hint a bit quicker this time. Right, So, but he does ask the corpse... Do you think I should try that again? But the corpse said, nary a word. Yeah. And he goes, right, that's a sign you don't want me to try it again. <laughs> and uh, at that moment, the corpse says in his ear, Imlog Father. Father? Father, yes. Imlog Father. Yes, the, the long ridge. Yeah. Now, there's plenty of long ridges around here. Oh, it's full of them, yeah. I mean, every other place is called drum this or drum yeah. that, and that just means ridge. Yeah. So we don't know which ridge is the long one because there's loads of them. Yes. We've got everything from the ridge of the old cow to the ridge of the two demons. Yeah. We, you know, there's loads. And so every so often, what he seems to go is, oh, murder, said Tiger. I like that. <laughs> Must I go there? I'm sure it doesn't come out with, with a good old-fashioned Irish accent. Oh, murder. <laughs> So off he sets. And now by this time he's exhausted, Mm. he's wet, he's muddy and he didn't know what he's doing and suddenly there's not a sign of a burial ground when suddenly the corpse grips him by the hips and grips him by the neck and goes, there. And as he reaches out, he looks but sees nothing. Not a burial ground, not a church, just... An old broken wall and a few stones. Seems like a, a ruined cairn, doesn't it? Yeah, that's definitely the impression that I get. That just it's a just few a rocks. pile of old stones, yeah. So, so he doesn't seem to be in a Christian burial ground no. anymore. This just seems to have gone back into some sort of uh, just a, almost like an old ruined cairn, a yeah. pre Christian yeah. burial yeah. site. Is this him, look, Father? Shall I bury you there? said Tyg. But I see no grave, no gravestone, only a pile of rocks. But the corpse just stretches out his bony hand to show Tyke the direction and off he goes. Mm-hmm. Now, he really was scared. Now, can you imagine? <laughs> the last time he's gone near one of these places, he's been picked up by the neck and flung a hundred yards. Yeah. He's lucky to be alive. <laughs> Probably fell on the corpse. <laughs> Soft land. Bit of a born identity thing, or what oh, was it? One of the born films where he jumps out the top off the top floor of a building. Haven't seen but it. But fortunately he lands on a dead body. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think he takes a dead body with him and goes, Quite possibly. <laughs> 
quite ridiculous. Yeah. But it's no more ridiculous than Tig being thrown a hundred yards into, yeah. the, into the air and landing all right. But now you can imagine he's not keen on doing it again. Yeah. As he gets close, there's a sort of um, suddenly there's a, a, a light begins to shine around this old cairn, mm. and there's a sort of ring of of, of light, almost like a lightning flash, mm. with bright yellow and red and blue streaks, and it begins to go round and round all around the wall outside this this pile of rocks, mm. and going faster and faster like some sort of I don't know particle accelerator or <laughs> um, definitely something slightly scientific yeah. science fiction about this yeah. and it builds up and builds up until it's a bright ring of flame around the old space you know mm. the graveyard which no one can possibly uh, pass That's through yeah. and uh, Tyg said that the, from the time he was born he'd never seen anything like this this mm. was just incredible it was so bright that it became it actually says it becomes white mm. and yellow and blue so it's almost like it's getting hot yeah. with sparks leaping out from it and he realised that there is no way he's going to get past this. So he yeah. goes, okay, can I give up on this one? <laughs> it, it is really, it's described and it's described so yeah. bright that it was shining like stars. Mm, and and that he could see every colour in it. And, every colour. Yeah. It is really um, mm. quite a phenomena. Mm. Um, maybe we could talk about that one a bit later. But anyway, he goes mm. on. He has no courage to yeah. approach this one, so he just keeps going. By this time, he's half dead. <laughs> he's in a swoon. Yeah. And he's actually obliged to sit down. He has to sit down and have a rest. But yeah. The corpse won't let him. <laughs> and he keeps going and he keeps going. There was nothing he could do. So this, this, this whirring flame goes round until finally the corpse speaks in his ear and goes, Kill Kill Rita. Rita. And it's not an instruction, it's a place name. It's the place name, the last pain. Uh, it's odd spelling, I don't yeah, know why you have it's, I know uh, it's a, a Y in it. Off, well, Breja is what it's trying to... It's trying to say that it makes a sound. Yeah. Kill Breja. Breja. Okay. Yeah. I know so, it's as... Breja. Breja. Well, it's, it's a palatal D. So yeah, it's got it's that just really sound to it. It's so. just that we think we know where this one is. Yes. It says the robe was so bad and his back was so heavy and the night was so dark and himself so worn out. He thinks he's about to go to die when finally he comes upon a little tiny burial ground. So quiet, so peaceful. And as he goes close to it, expecting to be flung back or fire to come out or ghost to attack him. <laughs> but he says to himself that they said this would be there would be one place I could bury him and something worse is even happening he sees the first signs of dawn in the sky yes and of course he was told he, he was told yeah. he had eight hours and if he eight hadn't buried him by dawn he'd yeah. be lost exactly and now it's getting like this is definitely getting into Indiana Jones time yeah <laughs> and the stars are fading that's mm. right and as he and the corpse is getting anxious yeah you feel the whole corpse getting jumpy as well mm. and he hurries forward into the graveyard and then there in front of him he sees an empty open grave. Nice and And inside, there's a coffin. And it actually says he gets down into the grave and he he, he, get, he finds another spade, of course. Yeah. And actually, he lifts off the lid <laughs> of the grave yeah. and there's no one inside. So, as he stands over the empty coffin in the bottom of a newly dug grave, mm -hmm. the corpse plops off his back like a fallen leaf. <laughs> Whee! Straight in. And, and lies still, so... Mm -hmm. um, Ty actually puts the lid on the coffin, gets out of the grave, and fills the grave with earth very quickly. Mm -hmm. And as the sun rises in the sky, 
he looks round and he finds himself around 26 miles from his home. He's overnight. He's walked, he's walked a marathon. He's walked a marathon overnight. Mm. Well, he goes staggering off, finds some sort of inn, lies down, sleeps all day, sleeps mm. till the next morning. And finally, when he goes home, you can guess he's a changed man. Of course, he's learned his lesson. And he goes and marries the girl, his Mary, and they live happily ever after. And everyone thinks he's a really wonderful young man. <laughs> and that's the story of Tiger Kane and the Fairies. find it interesting that when I was reading about Douglas Hyde, he said he collected it from what he thought was probably the last native speaker in, uh, in the area. The last Isn't... Irish native Irish speaker in the area. And uh, it, it's quite true. When I came here 20 years ago, 20, no, 22 years ago now, mm. uh, and I was learning Irish, and I was told, oh, what do you want to bother about that for? Nobody yeah. speaks Irish around here. It's, it's true. i just come down from the Western Isles where um, you'd walk into a shop and everyone would serve you in... Um, in Scots In Scots Gaelic, yeah. and uh, it would just... You know, you'd just get used to mm. doing the everyday things. Mm. But here, no, it was... There's a, lot, there's a lot of... Or certainly was a lot more resistance to... There was still the sense that speaking Irish was a poverty trap, essentially... You know, and that if if you wanted to do anything or be anything in the world, that you'd have to speak English. Yeah, now that I found quite worrying. Mm. Because I, I know one of the things when I first arrived, and because I teach English drama, mm. storytelling, creative writing, that sort of thing, and I had several people come to me. Oh, you know, would you would you teach our children to speak? And I went, What do you mean? They speak quite well. Yeah. I, I do. So I'll teach them drama. Mm. No, no, no. We want them. We want them to do well. We want them to speak like you. And mm. I, I thought that was terrifying. Yeah. Now that's eased off a lot, but. It has changed, but I I think that Douglas Hyde is maybe not quite correct in thinking that uh, the guy who got this story off was the last Irish speaker, because I know of a household that um, probably 30 or 40 years ago Mm -hmm. would have been an Irish-speaking house, but one of the children was profoundly deaf, and so he was sent off to the deaf school in Dublin. Now, at the deaf school, um, they still don't teach Irish. Mm-hmm. You can you can do Latin, you can do Latin at Leaving Cert, but they don't teach Irish. They say it's too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but So because this kid wasn't learning Irish at school, whenever he came home for the holidays, uh, the family would all speak in English in order to include him. And uh, that was how they became an English-speaking family. Mm -hmm. So, but that's within the last Mm. 40-odd years, Mm. you know, and now it's definitely, you know, Well, there's plenty of people who speak Irish, but not as a first language. Not as a first language. But it it is, the tide is turning and people are now really starting to value it again. we have our own girls' school. There is a girls' school in Carrick and there's another new one in Manor Hamilton. You know, they are springing up. Oh, it, it, it always surprised me when you think that Leitrim or the Breffney area mm. in the 19th century when, or 18th and 19th century, well, Donovan wouldn't even come here. Yeah. Oh, no, no, he wrote it wasn't safe to go past Ardar. Yeah. I mean, that's like the <laughs> Drumlish. No, uh, uh, yeah. Was it Ardar? Yeah, or Drumlish, around the Hill. Longford. Yeah, yeah, Hill. yeah. He, he says, no, no, you don't go past there. Yeah. And I mean, when Carrick was set up and they, you know, was, was created, oh, it went native. Yeah, as a Barrackstown. As, yeah. as a Barrackstown, then they built Jamestown. Oh, yeah. that went native. This whole thing at all, it's bandit country you don't go to Leitrim exactly and yet uh, it was one of the areas unfortunately where Irish speaking really died out absolutely very quickly yeah. but anyway that's really irrelevant it's just a little side issue mm. I it's, we have chosen to or we've chosen to compare the Adventures of Nero with Tiger Kane but it's often been compared with other folk tales yeah um, there's a very good article by Sean O'Quillan 
in uh, the journal Celtica. Now it's a it's volume twenty one, which was can in, we put up a link to it in nineteen ninety? Certainly, be able to put a link to um, the shop at the Institute for Advanced Studies, yeah, where yeah. you can order a copy or ask your library to order it in. Um, but in this article, O'Colon does a very comprehensive kind of overview of previous work that's been done, which compares the, the tale of Echthronera uh, with other folktale variants. Mm-hmm. It's been compared in the past to different stories. Mm-hmm. They, they haven't compared it with Tygo Cain No, it, this is what interests me, because mm. it's clearly found interesting that this so-called literary story yes. is actually very much a domestic folk story. Yeah, and that's unusual. It and, is unusual. Yeah. And um, the, one of the stories it's been compared with, I, I won't give it in any detail, mm. but it's a story where the devil accompanies a young man mm. And they're out and they pass two houses. Mm. And the first one, they can't get in because, because the fire, the fire around been, the house. Yeah. Exactly the same way, mm. because the fire's been smoked. So there's a, a, ring, of fire. a ring of fire around the house. And the second, there's a lake of water around the house mm. because that's all under order as well. It's properly protected. But in the last, it's slightly different because mm. they can get in, or the devil can get in because there's a quarrelling couple. Mm. And in another version, which I think is given in Celtic Heritage, oh, yeah. They're it's, newly married. Yes, they're newly married. Yeah. This one is really weird because yeah. I haven't got the whole story, but mm. apparently he's told that uh, that they will have a child who will be the child of the devil. Yeah. So whether the devil gets in in more than one way, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> and it's said that he will grow up to be a priest. Yeah. But anybody the priest gives mass to, yeah. or any time he baptizes someone, that person will it's be damned. damned. This, is, this is proper omen stuff oh, here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is the, the Antichrist. Antichrist. <laughs> and so the young man who spends the rest of the story trying to outwit the priest yeah. and stop him from either baptizing or giving yeah. mass to anybody, yeah. I think he cuts his hand off in mm, the end. Mm. So it's so, a thwarting the devil story, that yeah. one. Uh, yet, it, but, but it starts in the same way. Now, mm. now, um, John for him, the um, the hanged man yeah. and the devil are sort of cognate yeah, the, characters. They, yeah, they're comparing them as comparable. Yeah, you know, comparing as comparable. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, <laughs> that was really that was tautologous. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they are. He compares them, makes them seem as though they are comparable characters. Exactly. But so they are in a way. They're both liminal. They both belong mm. to the state taste between death and life. Yeah. In another version, it's a girl who's been enchanted yeah, by the yeah. shear who put is to sleep. Put to sleep by the shear. Yeah. But as a storyteller, I, I'm not not uncomfortable. I see it as a as a mythographer. I, I could quite see it. But as a storyteller, when I'm telling stories, I know very well that if you have an image as strong as the corpse on the back of somebody, somebody having to drag around the corpse mm. with their hands around their neck and their, it is described as having the legs around yeah. them, clinging onto the hips. Yeah. If you asked anybody the story, either of those stories, mm. what they remembered, the first thing that comes to your mind is this image of the corpse on the back. Yeah. And uh, in some ways, the devil is the devil. Mm. It's, uh, you know, the, and the devil is always slightly stupid. Yeah. You know, tricking the devil. Well, it's, again, but the devil is trying to play tricks and then it's up to the, the, the witty protagonist to outwit the devil. So yeah. it's always about that kind of tricks and wits. and This isn't. no. Um, the corpse, in many ways, Nera is trying to... It's a, it's a Grateful Dead story. Yeah. The, um, the, type 505. Yeah. We'll be talking about Type 501 in a bit, won't Exactly, we? yeah, yeah. The corpse says he's thirsty. Yeah. And so he takes... His job is to try and help the, the, the corpse get yeah. a drink. Yeah. In the second one, he's helping the corpse find a place to rest. Yeah. Although he's not willingly trying to help, yeah. he's still actually doing, the, doing a favour. Yeah. 
it, it is to do with, uh, you know, when you assist somebody, um, then they uh, will give you something in return, effectively. Yeah, you know. It's unwilling help. Yeah, but it's still help. But in many ways, just as Nira finds mm. a wife, yeah. so does so Tyke find in the end, a wife. Yeah, he comes back and then marries, and so yeah. that's almost like yeah. the reward for yeah. his journey. So in a way, I feel that a stronger comparison mm. is probably Tiger Cain of the Fairies, even though... There are a lot of differences. Mm. For a start, in the first two, as it points out, you've got these same the, the same houses, the same folk customs. Yeah, and you've got and the, the customs about yeah. fire and feet water. And it's mentioned that in some of the, I think the same article mentions that in some versions, it's so easy to Christianize the foot water into holy water yeah. and things like that. And in all that's happened in this story, their churches and burial grounds. Yes. Yeah. Uh, have replaced the, the, the dwelling places. Yeah, and, and in fact, you still, when Ty comes to the first church, they still have that motif of the other world creatures, the, the she, being unable to enter it. They say, mm-hmm. we can't go any further, you know, that they're not allowed in. And even in uh, Temple Ronan, when Ty is kind of completely knocked back, it's mm. still got that theme of, no, you can't enter here. Mm. And then, know. of course, the last one has more than a lake of fire. Exactly. It's, That's it's a remarkable yeah, image, isn't it? it really is. That spinning flame and getting brighter and more special it, it effects. It starts like a band of lightning mm. which broadens yeah. into a ring of fire, mm. but it's not fire, it's, it's, it's a band of light with yeah. sparks coming out mm. of it. I keep seeing something, I don't know, it, it's it's something very modern about that. Yeah. It feels like some sort of electric, electrical phenomenon. Current, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm no, really not no. suggesting anything. I'm not seeing aliens or anything no. else, believe me. <laughs> but I do think it's a remarkable um, image. image. It is, it is. And I think that it, it, in imagery terms, it does resonate with the image of first of all that the house protected by the ring of fire but it also resonates with that later part of the story of Nera where yeah, he yeah. sees Kruchen on fire yes true that's you know true. which is a, a bit that particularly in um in some of the earlier discussions of the the story of Nera and um, academics are saying that they think that they're two separate bits they think that the um that's right that the uh, carrying the hanged man is almost like a, a separate story from the story of the burning of the she and and going between the and Kruch and, and all of that they see those as two separate mm. tales that but have been put together that the one is the domestic tale of, yeah. car- of carrying the corpse yeah, and, and the, the other, other is uh, the, the harrowing of the sheep yeah exactly um, you know the, the bringing, bringing treasures out of mm. the out of a, out of the, sh- yeah, out the of underworld yeah. palace yes yeah Yeah, it doesn't actually state that um, Tiger Cane and the Ferris is, is at Samhain no but it's a very very much it's a, it's a one dark night story oh it definitely is it's, and it's obviously a winter story you're talking about the withered trees with no mm. leaves it's not meant to be a summertime story by no any means it's if it's not actually stated as it's so in well it does say he he meets the fairies at midnight and they say he has eight hours before dawn Mm -hmm. so the sun is rising about eight so that actually does place at this time of year it really does doesn't it (laughs) it does a bit but it's it's not it's total description but it isn't overt yeah and again it doesn't have that same time shift quality yeah that we get with nero yeah um and yet you've got this importance of time yes that he's got eight hours that he will be lost yeah if he does if the sun rises mm. while he's still got the corpse on his back yeah he has he had it yeah and, and it just says he'll be lost yeah and he has to keep moving the whole time he, the journey has to continue so you've got this same polarity mm. between day and night yeah like you know with with under the ground and over the ground yeah. you've got all the same qualities yeah. um it's just that it's a really ordinary domestic 
the ghost story, ghost morality story. Yeah, tale. With, a, with, of course, a morality involved, yeah. as most modern it, folk tales are. It really is. It's just, it's the same story, but just at a different level. Yeah, and, um, and for a different for audience. For a different audience. Mm. And it's not set at Crookham, it's set here in it's Right Leitrim. here, yeah, South Leitrim. In South Leitrim, most definitely. Yeah. Now, uh, there's one more story that's worth looking at. As a comparison. As a comparison. Nearer. And in many ways, it's got more comparison, and yet it doesn't have that central strong image of the, the, corpse. the corpse on the back. But yeah. it's the story tap. We mentioned 505. 505, The Grateful Dead. We're now moving on to 501, 501. which is The Fairy Hill is on Fire. <laughs> There's several versions of this mm. story. I think possibly the most popular one was written down by... Um, Oscar Wilde's mother. Yes, by Speranza, Lady Wilde. And uh, <laughs> it's a story set around Shlieve Naman, which I believe is down in Tipperary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one... Shlieve Naman, the Hill of the Women. Yeah, absolutely. Or the, or the Hill of the Fairy Women sometimes. Or mount, Mountain, not Hill. Sorry. Mountain. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's sometimes also called the Twelve Horned Women. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they're horned women. But the, So there's, there's a number of different versions of it. Um, but essentially what happens is that there is a ordinary housewife. A woman sits spinning one night. Yeah, and she's working quite late, you know. Mm. Um, Almost as if this, this is a cautionary tale. Yeah, about that get your work w- done. Get your work done in time. Don't work into the night. Yeah. Again, you've got this quality of... Uh, in every one of these is a cautionary mm. tale of some mm. kind. And of how to do things properly. How to do things properly, yeah. 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 So um, she's in, in the version that we'll use for now, which is the one mentioned in O'Colon's article, um, essentially these two old women come banging on the door in the middle of the night and they're carrying this sleeping girl between them. Oh, who they put a pin of sleep in her? Yes, ear. lumber pin, which is a mm. wonderful thought. They've put put this needle or this pin into her ear, which has put her into this unwakeable, unshakable sleep. You know, talk about your um, sleeping beauty. And they brought yeah. into the house. And they put her in charge, mm. which is a little weird. But it's mm. almost that they have put this liminal character who yeah. is neither alive or dead, or asleep or awake. Yeah. And then she, once she's brought in, the normal processes have stopped well she gets sent out to fetch water while they're spinning i Mm. think they've been to the house more than once but they Mm. they keep turning up and she goes to fetch water but she's kind of suspicious so Mm. she when returning in the second time from the well she hears them talking it goes something like a hag carding and another hag teasing and the housewife will serve as a tasty meal this is where we start to cackle yes And so she, what she does, she does a series of things. Yeah. She fills the cauldron with water. She drives an axe firmly into a block of wood, throws some of the water outside the house, mm-hmm. and hides the bread, bread stick, stick, whatever yeah. that is, hides the bread, mm. and then rushes into the house shouting, that the home of the fairy woman is on fire. Yeah. Now, there's more than one version. It seems mm. to be wherever, whatever mountain you're yes, by, the local that one. mountain yes. is on fire. Yeah. The uh, other women, the, the, the fairy women, leave the house in dismay, one crying out that she's lost her family and all the rest of them. Mm. And uh, the, clever the, housewife. the clever housewife bolts the door. And when yeah. they find out they've been tricked, they come back. And they call in turn for help from the feet water, but the feet water says that it's now lying on the ground, scattered, and uh, nothing will come to their aid. Mm. Not an ember from the fire or the axe or the ashes. Mm. Everything's been spread. Yeah, so everything's Everything's in order. In its proper place. And so the fairy woman give up. Yeah. They are baffled and depart. (laughs) 
And now uh, she she's listened to in listening to the fairy woman. She's learned how um, why how the girl is asleep. So exactly. she removes the slumber pin, and the girl wakes up. And she turns out to be a changeling. Yes, so they... she's been stolen away in a changeling, mm. put in her place. Now, in the much more dramatic mm. um, Lady Wild version, yeah. you know, Schlieve Lamon is on fire. Yeah, I think there's twelve horned women, and they just yeah. keep arriving and, the and arriving. Flames, yeah, and the flames are over the mountain, mm. and red is this, and yeah. so forth. But at one point, while the woman's out getting water, they take they draw blood from her sleeping family yeah and one of the things she is told to do is to when she brings in the meal she has to take the blood and mix it with the cake yeah make a cake out yeah. of the meal and the water that she's collected once she's locked herself in yeah and uh, put the broken cake into, into the, the mouths, mouths of, of her sleeping, sleeping family. family yeah now I, f I find that quite interesting it is yeah yeah um it's a version worth reading it is it is and it has some of those same themes that we've come across both in, in Nera and in mm. Tyke. So let's look at how they compare. Mm. I mean, we've suddenly brought in a story which doesn't have a, a corpse. That <laughs> doesn't have a devil. It yeah. doesn't have... But what it does have is this threat to the fairy mound. Yes. And a threat to the home. Yeah. That first the dwelling is, on, is under it, threat. Yeah. And then the other world's under threat. Yes. And this seems to be a central theme in this, this balance between uh, the two. Yeah, very much like in the story of Nera, where he he believes the Kruchen has been set on fire, just as the, the fairy hags in this one believe that Schlieven is on fire. But then he's told that either the Kruchen in the human world will be destroyed or the fairy mound will be destroyed. One or the other of them is going to be destroyed. Mm. And in this Schlieven tale, we have, first of all, like you say, the domestic space is under threat until right things, or things are put right, and then it's the fairy mound that's mm. under threat. So it's all about balance and mm. order mm. and the right way of doing things and protecting yourself. Mm. It's also about the shift from one of the world being dominant to the other world being yeah, dominant. Yeah. You know, a, a, the, at first the fairies have the upper hand but then the humans are yeah. able to sort of rebalance and oddly enough in the nearest story there is sort of no sense of uh, one being good and one being bad oh, or no, one being evil or one being demonic yeah. or one being heroic it just isn't there yeah they're, they're just two different neighbouring factions um, yeah and it, it's it's what I was thinking after all he gets Nero gets his wife from the fairy mound yeah. she warns him mm. that the hill is going to be destroyed yes um, and in so doing causes the fairy world her fairy world to be destroyed but manages to get out with him and yet at the end of it it says and Nero went back to the she and nobody's seen him since yes that, that he chooses to, to stay in the fairy world nothing's been destroyed at all yeah. it's all just perverted mm. at the end of it mm. and I think even the tiger cane and the fairies is about uh, the rightness of things absolutely it put, it's finding the right finding place the right for bed for, yeah uh, for finding the, the right grave for the corpse yeah, yeah. I mean, in in the other version, each time he goes into a church and goes, no, nope, no room. You yeah. have to find something else, somewhere yeah. else. It's all about. I think it's a much more funny domestic yeah. version, and it is funny. It yes. is a funny story. Yeah, especially when the old woman story. wearing nothing but her shirt sits up and says, "You prick." Yeah, it's a typical uh, funny ghost story. Yeah, with a little bit of a frisson a about it. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. I think it's lovely, but it's still, in essence, I think it has the same story. Mm. So I suppose we should take a look at our small finest finds tray and see what we've actually got out of these two stories. Yes. Um, well, I think if I look at all the shards, what we've actually got are a couple of really good stories, oh, brilliant stories, uh, and enjoyable stories. And 
even though the one of them comes from as long ago as the 8th to 10th century and one of them is well comparatively modern within the last century or so at least uh, i mean it talks about flint and mm. uh, rags but what each of them tell is i think just how some of the long some of these customs have been going on the customs of Samhain yeah. and uh, Ah, just how people feel about the dark. And yeah. Every like everyone likes a story about being scared in the dark, mm. and that these old customs about how you should look after your fire yeah. and uh, not and having water. dirty water in yep. the house and all the rest of it. They're not just eighteenth, nineteenth century. Mm. They the, go back you have them clearly dated right a back a thousand years, at earlier. least a thousand years. Yeah, these have been going on. People have been feeling like this yeah. about the coming of the dark for a very mm. long time. And it gives us a continuity of story as well. Mm. You know that we're finding the same kind of evidence on some very recent layers mm. as we're finding on some of the very, very deepest that we can and get just to. No, don't ever underestimate the oral tradition. Exactly. Just because something's ri- not written down. Yeah, doesn't mean it hasn't been around for a very long time. Yeah. Now, w- one of the um, finds that we've had some trouble with, yeah, are... rather small shirts. We were yeah. hoping to have whole pot for this one. Exactly. The the place names that are given in yeah. Tygo Cane. Trying to place this story because mm. it's just literally down the road. So local. I for years have been trying. I've asked people mm. and um, oh, women's groups and schools and all sorts of places. Everywhere I go, I've often said, "Do you recognise these names?" Mm. Nobody does. No. Nobody at all. Nobody no. from Ballinamore, right round Loch Allen, mm. right up, you know, Moor Hill, all around. I've never found anybody who recognised one of them. Yeah. Except maybe Temple Ronan. Well, Temple Ronan is very suggestive of Kilronan, which is up as far as Kiju. Um, and is a churchyard with a sixth century. Um, oh yeah, very chapel ancient chapel, and and it's it's the home of wonderful Saint Ronan well. and Saint Lasser, <laughs> of course. So you know, and, and O'Carolan was buried there. Yes, O'Carolan is still buried there. Yeah, well, I suppose he is. <laughs> yes. Well, he was buried. Yes, and, and now he he's buried. buried. Yeah. <laughs> so that's semantics. Yeah, yeah. But the trouble is, though, that you know Saint Ronan it would have been a very well known local saint and so there could have been temple or kill Ronans all over the place so it could it, have been little kills exactly. all over the place so it doesn't they? really pin it down uh, the but, other one that's a little bit suggestive mm, is possibly uh, Kilbreda Kilbreda the last one because yeah. the parish that we're that we're in here mm. is Kiltobrid which is Kiltobrida so it, that's mm, the church mm. of, of Bridget's well, well. Again, Not that St Bridget's well was handed over to Patrick and moved, apparently. Well, so, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't think anyone is certain, but there yeah. is a story about a well that disappeared somewhere and came up somewhere oh, else. Yeah. And it's definitely the well of the parish yes. was St Patrick's well. Yeah, yeah. And we have other wells, but they don't have specific names. Mm. There are holy wells, Mark, but there's not many of them yeah. around. But it means that, you know, the, the church of this parish is still they, known as Kiltobrit. Kiltobrit. I'm not certain, mm. I wouldn't, but I think the old burial ground might have originally yeah, been called that. Could, could have been Kilvrija, yeah. I don't know for certain. No. It's a very old name. Mm. And it's now not a very small graveyard. No, it's it's quite extensive. And there's there's plenty of little mm. places. Imlog Father is that, interesting, it but it could curious, be anywhere around exactly. here. Exactly. So there, there just isn't enough. I've... I've done my best to try and track them down um, but it's it's evaded me as well so I'm afraid afraid those little bit of pot shirts are just totally unrecognisable but it doesn't stop it being a good story no and it doesn't stop us looking at the two stories together and seeing how you know the evidence from the two layers might fill in the blanks between them this is where we get into our our wonderfully speculative 
Yeah. Uh, it struck us now if you have been listening to the episodes a couple of ep- podcasts ago a couple of episodes ago mm. we did one on Shebeg yeah which is the hill where we are right this and moment. we talked about the two hills of Shemore and Shebeg and Shebeg and Samhain and Bealtaine and mm. it just struck us that here you've got this constant battle with the, between the two hills again yes, going to and fro as in uh, the Bealtaine story of Samhain as in the story of Nero where this this there's this toing and froing between the human Kruchen and the fairy yeah. cave. So do you think next time when I go out and uh, I see the cross lit up on Shimo, I can go, the fairy hill is on fire! I think that is absolutely cromulent. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you've enjoyed this rather light-hearted uh, corpse-carrying episode. Yes. <laughs> Don't try it at home. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, go go read the stories for yourselves because yeah. they're great. And, you know, you never might go and have a go at telling one of them. Have a go at the uh, Tiger Cane and the Fairies. Have a look at it and try telling it yourself. It's a great story. It is. Enjoy your Samhain. <laughs> and we'll talk to you soon. Just before we go, we do have an addendum to the Corpse Carrying for Beginners yep. cast. We forgot a bit. <laughs> now, as I was said in this po- I said earlier in the podcast, as a storyteller, I found the most significant element of the two stories we were talking about was the actual corpse carrying bit, where the corpse gets stuck on uh, Tig's back or where where Nera carries the corpse. And although there are motives cognate with other stories, I felt it was that particular motive that was the most striking. The other thing is, of course, we mentioned was that both stories, Nera and Tig, are both local to Roscommon Leitrim. However, I always felt that it was a really rare, if not unique, motive. Well, and as we've now discovered, not quite unique. Uh, I overlooked a set of three poems from the Metrical Dinhenicus. They're all poems on the place name of Alech, which is now known as Angrianon. Up in Donegal. Up in Donegal, yeah, sort of Inishon-type direction. Now, uh, in the Metrical Dinhenicus, which we've talked about so many times before, sometimes the poems agree, sometimes they disagree. In this, all three poems on Alech really do agree on the overall story. No, you were telling me that you actually weren't looking for anything on uh, Tyke when you found these. No. That's why you forgot. Yeah, I've been looking at them in in regard to the Dagda and uh, his family. And the story that's told in these poems is of the killing of one of the Dagda's sons, Oid. Now, he's said said to have three sons, Mm -hmm. Oid, uh, Oingasog and Kermit. Yeah, and Oingasog is the very well-known one. He's very well-known. And uh, Kermit... Is related to you. Quite possibly the name Carmody originates and from not Kermit. Kermit the Frog. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely well, look, we better not. tell you the story. Exactly. It, yes. it just fits perfectly. It does, it does. Essentially, there is a character from Krochenoi, which is the area that we're in here, or the area around That we're talking about, where the near, adventure of Nira happens. Exactly. Where the cave of Onigat and all that is. Yeah. So the, the character is called Korokin, or which is similar to Korokinak, which is a term that's usually translated as sorcerer. But uh, he has a wife, Tethra, who mm-hmm. is often said to be <coughs> one of the <coughs> leaders of the, the Firbulg or even of the, the people of Nevid. Um, but she's his beautiful wife. Oid completely falls for her and she for him. 
and they yeah, have... couldn't think of anything else. Exactly, even when he wasn't there. Yeah, that's right. She <laughs> went there, even when he was she fell in love with him, even though he wasn't there. Exactly. So, uh, although that might be when her husband wasn't around, of course. <laughs> so, as usually happens in such things, there is a, a, a meeting and a liaison and an affair, and uh, when Corwin finds out that his... Not very pleased. No, that his wife has been unfaithful, what does he do but goes and kills Oid. Yeah, but he doesn't get away with it. No. Now, Oid is... Because being one of the sons of the Dagda, he's very well loved by his people. And all the people are saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. Kill Kirk. Kill Kirkan. But uh, the Dagda, in his infinite wisdom, says, no, that's not the just thing to do. No, it's not a killing crime. No, and there's very few actual death sentences in Irish law. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense because the whole principle has to be one of reparation. You can't can't give anything back if you're dead. Exactly, exactly. So uh, the reparation that the Dagda deems appropriate is that Corrigan should carry the corpse of Oith on his back until he can find a gravestone of the same size as Oyth in order to make a memorial for him. So here we have this fantastic corpse-carrying motif that we were looking for. Yeah. And it's set... At Crokenai. Right well, Crokenai. that's what one of the one of the perpetrators comes from Crokenai. Now they end up in Donegal, up where Alec is, because that's where uh, he finds a stone that mm. is fit for Oid, and that's where they make a memorial. And the Dagda causes the fort; he gets his builder to build a fort around. But he there. carries the corpse effectively from from Croken up north, to, exactly to Donegal. Yeah, uh, I, I I think it, it it's a fantastic story. But what's more, it fits even better. Uh, it's particularly well suited to the Tygo Kane story yeah. because if you think about it, the man is forced to carry the corpse as a punishment. Yes. Although in Ty's case, it's a punishment for a dissolute lifestyle, which is not quite the same as murder. Yeah. Uh, but he has to carry it as a punishment until he can find a suitable grave. Yes. Which is exactly what Tygo Kane does. Yeah. That's what we have in 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 this story of Alec. Yeah. So it's even more close to Tiger Cain than Nero and yet here we have not a folk tale but something which belongs to the mythological cycle yeah. which which involves corpse carrying yes. and set at it starts at Crochanai yeah so it, it really does look as if this story may have been a common ancestor or at least a, a cousin to both of the stories we were talking about absolutely now, I do have a little postscript to this postscript which is a bit of what if a little bit of imaginative exploration and that is with the name of the protagonist in the Alec story which is Corrigan um, now it's suggestive of the name of our local village Cash Carrigan. I'm not saying that it's the same word no it doesn't have the same no. background meaning at all no but what if the Corrigan of this story of Alec suggested to Leitrim people that the story was fit for this area because they had a place that sounded similar. Yeah, after all, Tyke, whose other stories are set further south, aren't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And he doesn't belong to this area, so you're saying it may have become localised like because of the name. I think so. Well, I certainly wondered whether, um, in fact, Kesh gets the stories of Fionn because it reminded people of the other Kesh. Kesh Corrin. Yeah. Yes, Kesh Corrin and Kesh Corrigan. So people yeah. started to think about Fionn here. Oh, that was Gromit. It was... Uh, You've got me off now. It's, it's, <laughs> I was going to say, well, it's Gromit. <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. Dim and Gronia. Yes. Who lived on Keshkaran. Yes. It was like Kermit the Frog bit got me. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but it's pure speculation. Yes, it is. 
of course, we're not saying anything, just mm. having fun. But perhaps we might discover, or maybe someone out there will discover more examples of this most unusual corpse-carrying motive. Absolutely. And once again, happy Halloween, happy Samhain. Yes, enjoy. Thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagus, conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com. <laughs>